Hello, everyone. I'm Reverend Carla, and welcome to Spirituality Matters, a podcast that focuses on the intersection of spirituality and humanity. Now let's settle in and find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are. And let us be reminded that the holy transcends our physical bodies and our time together can be just as sacred and meaningful as if we were sitting beside one another. Okay, let's get started. This is the episode where we grab a bunch of your questions and I spend time answering them. My entire podcast could be doing nothing but answering your questions, but here we go. This first question has a lot of layers, but let's dive into it. If hell isn't real, then Satan and demons wouldn't be real. If that's the case, why isn't the world perfect without temptations? It is a little convoluted, but I think I know what you're trying to say here. And the question is intriguing, which is why I decided to answer it. And it does seem like you're speaking literally. And if there's also an assumption here that that maybe you do believe in Satan and demons, and it's not my job to try to convince you otherwise, but you are asking me this question and base, basically what I believe. So that's how I'm going to try to answer it. Now, Satan in Judaism was not seen as a fallen angel, as it is often portrayed in many denominations of Christianity, but rather Satan was seen as an adversary or an accuser. So this is someone who actually is a servant of God who tests and challenges individuals so that they can strengthen their resolve and actually en enhance their spirituality. So the, Satan is often seen as part of God's defined plan. Now, by no means am I an expert in Judaism. So anybody who wants to chime in on this, these are things that I've learned from, based on my studies. But, you know, anybody who wants to give a little bit more uh, context to that, please do so. But you can see the influence in early Christianity, but it became something where early Christians started to believe that Satan was a fallen angel who rebelled against God and then was allowed to tempt humans into sin. So he was seen as an adversary opposing God's plans for salvation for the rest of us. And this same thing with the concept of hell, it was influenced by Jewish beliefs, but the Christian version of hell was seen as a place of punishment and separation from God uh, for the wicked and unrepentant. And you can see how that changed over time. In medieval uh, Christianity, you started to see a more prominent place in Christian belief for Satan. He was considered the ruler of hell and he had a legion of demons that he controlled that worked in the world to tempt us into sin. You also saw how the belief in hell also intensified just as Satan became more prominent and you literally started to see this vivid, vivid imagery of hell and portraying it as this physical place of eternal suffering where sinners would be subjected to intense pain and torture into perpetuity. Now, then comes the era of the Renaissance and Enlightenment. And during that time is when you started to see a shift to more skeptical, skeptical, skeptical and rationalistic views and questioning things and critical thinking. And it was during this time that you saw people start to question this literal existence of Satan and this literal interpretation of hell. And some theologian, theologians during this time and philosophers began to view hell as this metaphorical state rather than a 
physical location symbolizing the psychological and spiritual consequences of sin. So during this this enlightenment, you started to see this further diminishment of the belief of Satan, Satan as science and reason gained prominence. Now, we could go down a rabbit hole here and talk about what was the backlash of that? And that's where you saw the great awakening, which is no coincidence that Michael Flynn's tour now is the great reawakening in a, as an opposition to this uh, concept of wokeness, if you will. All of that is tied together. And that, again, like I said, could be a whole podcast. Now in modern and contemporary Christianity, you're still seeing several denominations who believe in this literal hell and this literal Satan. And that very much is in um, fear-based theology. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But what you're seeing here is that this Satan is this real spiritual being who can actively work in our lives to deceive us and corrupt us, even though there are also churches now. So you're starting to see more of a division in, in the different denominations of which there are 25,000, 30,000 worldwide. But many of those denominations view Satan more metaphorically. And now they're more open about that because the consequences aren't as severe as what they were back in the Enlightenment and the Inquisition and places like that, where your beliefs could literally get you put to death. So this representation of evil and sin being more of a metaphorical thing when it's not, it's something that w diminishes our capacity to truly enjoy life versus having some kind of consequences to afterlife to at what happens to us after death so this fear-based theology i mentioned is is very much intricately tied to this concept of concept of satan of hell of demons uh temptation of sin and this started in early Christianity. It play, fear definitely played a role in how Christianity evolved because many times people were fear, fear-based theology during that time was just you feared God's judgment and the consequences of sin if you did not adhere to God's teachings. And oftentimes it was thought if any calamity happened to you, then it was because you allowed evil to come into your life. And it was very much tied to that. A child gets sick and died. Well, what did you do spiritually to cause that? So you very much had this cause and effect for anything that happened in your life. And that continued into the uh, medieval Christianity where the concept of hell and eternal dam damnation were more emphasized and became more visualized. And then you started to see with the Reformation period, and this is a time where John Calvin and those leaders, those early Protestant leaders emphasized the depravity of human nature and the need for salvation. In other words, you show up in this world, a horrible being. And the only thing that can redeem you is the blood of Christ, the salvation of Christ, the salvation that Jesus offers you. So this punishment of sin is that you, you are born into sin. And so you, you're immediately, you're a humanity. The first breath you take is tied to brokenness, to flaws, to sin. So in order to be safe from that, you must um, confess your sins and turn your life over to Christ. 
And then, like I said earlier, this great awakening that started happening during the Puritan era was really where you saw, especially here in America, this fear-based preaching and revivalism. Uh, come on, if you have never heard anything about John Nelson Darby, who was really the father, if you will, of uh, the rapture theology, the rapture theology is less than 300 years old. You know, this rapture theology comes along and it really gave these evangelical preachers the fire and brimstone that they needed to really deliver these fear-based sermons. And it was all about fearing God's judgment, sin, the devil, his, his demons that were always trolling around, looking at ways to make your life miserable, but also tempt you away from the salvation of God's plan. Then that has perpetuated into fundamentalism, contemporary evangelical Christianity, where the literal interpretation of the Bible, including these apocalyptic teachings that you find in Revelation, this is all about instilling fear about the end times, the wrath of God, eternal punishment, all of these things that are tied up into how you interpret those scriptures to be able to keep people in this fear-based theology and, con and convincing them that end times are going to happen anytime. So you better make sure that you're, you're right with God. So these were some serious shifts, even though you're also seeing a very prominent shift of people pulling away from this fear-based theology because they see on the other side of that, the weaponization of scripture and what it's doing, especially to historically oppressed and marginalized groups. Because this fear-based theology is often entrenched in patriarchy. It almost always is. And what that means is that for somebody to be at the top, a whole lot of people have to be at the bottom to continue to perpetuate that institution. So you see people who are deconstructing from those beliefs because they cannot reconcile those beliefs about fear-based theology to the actual behavior and beliefs of those in power. They start to see the hate and the judgment and the willingness to persecute their fellow humans, and they cannot recognize it, they cannot reconcile it with this uh, all knowing, all loving, all forgiving God that they preach about. So you'll continue to see that fall away. It's not going to, not going to change anytime soon unless somehow Christian nationalism gets a hold of it and we are forced into the church pews, which is a very real possibility. People think that. They laughed at me when I said Trump would get elected in 2016 and look what happened. That's exactly what happened because there's enough people who are still entrenched in that fear-based theology. Now, there's a couple places in the Bible where it talks about uh, the book of Genesis where God allowed Adam and Eve to be tempted by the serpent. And that has often been translated to be that that was the devil incarnate in the serpent's body. The book of Job, Job, where God does allow Satan to test Job's faith. And in the gospel of Matthew, where you see Jesus being led by the spirit into the wilderness, and he's tempted by the devil there. But then you get in the book of James, where it says that God does not tempt anyone to do evil. Okay, a little technical there, because God doesn't allow, but he allows Satan, apparently. That's the way we read that in the in the Lord's Prayer. You read, and lead us not into temptation. And, you're, and you're, you're praying this to God, and you're saying, please don't lead me into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So you see these numerous stories where 
depending on your faith system and, and your religious indoctrination, you can interpret those to mean what you need them to mean. But whatever it, whatever it is, it still becomes a place where do you believe in the literal interpretation or do you believe in a more metaphorical, symbolic representation of what temptation is, how it impacts our lives, and what is it that you're trying to prove or what is it tr you're trying to instill in yourself to confirm yourself of what you believe? Because let's face it, you can get both sides of this coin out of the exact same scripture. It's all about what is it that you want from your faith journey, from your spiritual journey. The problem with evil is that this existence of evil, or as we call it in the in in Christian terms, including this uh, temptation by Satan, the conflict there for a lot of people is that how can God be all knowing, all powerful, all seeing, all these things? Well, if you know that you're going to allow this being to tempt people, then you also know how it's going to end. And then you'll hear things about free will, and which is my next point about how you're explaining, like, well, but we have free will, so we God doesn't know which way we're going to choose. Mm, we're splitting hairs here. We're splitting hairs there. Either he does or he doesn't. So you start to see why these things after time and after living in fear-based theology, afraid of Satan, afraid of demon, people start to get exhausted. They start to get exhausted because you never grow up past the teenage stage in this level of indoctrinated thinking. You can never find a peace with your spirituality that isn't contingent upon you being afraid of being a being tempted by the devil. So you're constantly basically grounded in your room like a teenager because you apparently lack the emotional and spiritual maturity to take care of yourself. So this moral growth and character development that should be part of the human experience that is part of our spirituality is completely denied of you inside this fear-based theology, which of course is also leading to why so many people are leaving it. So it's a matter of, do you believe that God allows, that there is Satan and God allows Satan to tempt anyone? And if so... How does that serve your spirituality? Because the absence of hell, it may not negate the existence of Satan or demon, if that's something that's meaningful to you, but are they more of a metaphorical, symbolic concept that's meant more about pointing us to temptations as being places where we are being offered a mirror of things about our lives that it's time for us to face that isn't allow us to turning back to our world as a better version of ourselves. And right now, I know you can think of five things that we could either call a temptation. We're being tempted by the devil, which absolves us of responsibility because, oh no, it was Satan who caused us to do that versus, yeah, I'm going to own this. That was a stupid choice. That was a dumb mistake. Uh, I shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have eaten that, shouldn't have smoked that, shouldn't have drank that. Whatever those are, you have the responsibility is on you. Your mouth did it. Your hands did it. You thought it. You taking that responsibility is part of the human and moral character development that still can very much strengthen your spirituality, but it oftentimes using it as a temptation outside of us absolves us in a way that really does serve patriarchy, which is why it's so 
prevalent in patriarchal systems because a person who's in leader now has an excuse outside of themselves because don't ever take your eyes off the fact that they are God ordained, no matter what they do, but the devil somehow got into them. And see how easy it is. I'm going to go ahead and continue to lead you because don't forget, you can't question anything about my leadership, but you, but, but my, my journey to forgiveness and salvation is between me and God. So don't you judge it and don't you dare ask anything about it. So what, again, the struggle that you may be facing re related to temptation may be more about your own spiritual journey. Like I said, if the concept of hell and the devil and demons serve your spirituality, then good on you. For me, it became something that was weaponized because I saw then how it was used hypocritically for the people in leadership versus the people who were there who had to perpetuate the system through our constant giving, through our hours of sacrifice for unpaid labor, for never questioning the authority, or we were said that we were had a doubter's mind or a spirit of offense. And so I no longer need that as part of my part of my spiritual journey because I only see how it's been weaponized and I don't believe in the literal interpretation of the Bible. So I hope that helps. We got time for another question here. What's God's view on being gender fluid? I've been struggling feeling me being that way doesn't line up with the Bible. Okay. Well, just for people who don't know what this, what this is, gender fluidity refers to a gender identity that is not fixed or limited to one specific gender. Individuals who are gender fluid may experience their gender identity as fluctuating or changing over time, and they may feel a fluidity between masculine and feminine identities or identities outside of the traditional uh, gender binary. So gender fluid individuals may express themselves in various ways, embracing different aspects of gender expression at different times. Now, some Christians believe that being gay is not a sin. And they're basing that on their interpretation of certain scriptures and their principles surrounding that their highest beacon of DEI, if you will, Christian DEI is love, inclusivity, and equality. So they'll often use scriptures like Matthew 22 uh, verses 37 through 40, which emphasizes God's love for everyone or Galatians 3:28, which highlights the equality in Christ and other passages that emphasize God shows no partiality like Acts 10, 34 and 35. So Christians who support LGBTQ inclusion often emphasize uh, Jesus's teaching where he talks about acceptance and non-judgment as seen in the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10 and the woman caught in adultery in John 8. And these Christians uh, say that the cultural context of biblical passages condemning same-sex relations, um, they should be considered. Because this overall message of the Bible is one of love, grace, and acceptance for all individuals, regardless of sexual orientation or gender identity. What this means is that there's a, a, a 
cultural context that goes around the writings of the scripture. And that's the way we should read them. Not necessarily that they're talking to us thousands of years from now and saying, hey, this is what we knew about our humanity. This is what we believe. And that's exactly what we think you should be doing right now. That's absolute nonsense. So there was a cultural influence on the Bible. It was written in specific historical and cultural context. And that reflects, so these writings reflect their norms and their values and the practices of the societies at that time in which they were written. And obviously there have been misinterpretations. There's, uh, you can go find 1946, the movie, and hear about how the interpretation of uh, the word homosexual accidentally got into the Bible. There's also selective application, also known as cherry picking. And we know that this happens quite often. So if you need the Bible to be homophobic, you can absolutely make it be that way. And of course, the Bible reflects what was happening at that time. It's a screenshot of what was happening, but there are constantly changing social dynamics that we just know humanity evolves over time and what was acceptable or normative in biblical times may not align with modern perspectives on issues such as gender. We know slavery, the Bible condones slavery or even human rights. We know that women were no more valued than cattle. So things the selective cherry picking of scriptures to continue to condemn LGBTQIA plus or uh, women in leadership is that just that it's selective because we're doing away with those things that the Bible certainly does condone like slavery. So it causes this weaponization of biblical t teachings that basically justify uh, discrimination and exclusion. So it's important that we're reading the Bible through a historical, cultural, and literary context, um, because that's how we get accurate interpretation. And that's how we become inspired by scripture instead of using it to weaponize it and to harm others, primarily the marginalized groups, and this by uh, weaponizing these perpetuation of harmful uh, cultural norms. So this is why it's so important. Now for you specifically, you mentioned that you're struggling with it. And no matter what I say here, that's probably not going to be enough to make you feel okay about you being you. But I do hope this helps. And I do hope that you continue to stay here, study with us, listen to my other podcasts, read my blogs, go to my website at revcarla.com to find the free resources. I've got one called The Clobber Verses and the Homophobic Christian. My latest is God Is where I'm helping you release those normative standards and look at the Bible through a new set of eyes to help you deconstruct and heal from these patriarchal toxic indoctrinations who have convinced you that you're less less than because of who you are. Because that's really what you're reflecting here is that I know who I am, but I also feel as if I'm a mistake. And that indoctrinated belief is what I hope that you're able to peel away from. And I know there's many, many challenges for people when it comes to trying to do that. Okay, I have time for one more question and we're gonna make this quick. So here we go. I like your content, but serious question. Why are you still a believer? I'm a happy-go-lucky atheist and can't understand deity believers. Okay, when I hear believer, that implies that you understand what exactly I believe. And I can assure you 
that you do not. Now, I I speak of things about church that have harmed me, and I speak about what I no longer believe. I speak about mistranslations and misinterpretation and outright corruption in biblical scripture. I speak about deconstructing from Christianity and patriarchy. But here are some things that I keep very close to my chest, because I don't want to talk about things that will influence how other people are are on their spiritual journey. Sure, I'll talk about the Holy Spirit. Sure, I'll talk about the Trinity. Sure, I'll talk about heaven and hell. But I don't do it from a place of you must believe this. You must feel this way. But I want to make sure that someone's not at risk of globbing onto my spirituality and saying it's yours. Because what they were taught spirituality looks like is often that I have to find a guru. We must have a community that looks and thinks and worships in a certain way. And that's not true because my peeps, if you will, in my communities, like in social media, or even in my friends, I have, I have witches and pagans and evangelicals and progressive Christians. And you might think that that somebody might have problems with that, who are coming from, they haven't deconstructed so far, but actually your statement is just as judgmental because you're saying that it's people are looking for some kind of spiritual path, can't be happy and go lucky. And you feel the need to let me know that you don't understand it. So there must be something wrong with my path, but I've never said that I believe in a, a deity as the one that I deconstructed from, if I call it God energy, universal mystery, the divine, the holy, those are just names I'm giving because I'm more inclined to believe that something exists that was the beginning of all this. I might not ever figure it out, but I'm holding space for it. And I don't mock people what people believe unless they are weaponizing. For instance, I won't make a video mocking someone speaking in tongues or being slain in the spirit or interpreting tongues. I won't talk, I won't mock people for faith healing because for me, those are beliefs that I have witnessed and I have experienced, but I no longer need them in my on my spiritual journey when it becomes something that they weaponize. And cause so if, if, if for instance, someone believes that being gay is a sin, and now I'm gonna make sure the entire world is governed by that belief, that's religious oppression then I have problems with that. We know we do not live in a place where someone should have the right to tell me what I should believe. But it's just as damaging for someone who's an atheist to say to me, why do you believe? Because, hey, I'm happy-go-lucky. Good on you, but you don't have the right to judge me for my holding space for the mystery of something else out there. And to imply that because I do, I'm not happy. I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. I work hard, but it's worth it. So I think on both places, whether you are entrenched in evangelical Christianity and believe that you have the right to weaponize, or you're sitting over here and you don't believe in anything, using judgment of a path of somebody else can be just as dangerous and unhealthy. And I think that we need to be careful with that. Thank you for listening, beautiful souls. You can watch the uncut version of today's episode on my YouTube channel, Spirituality Matters with Rev. Carla. 
Thank you again. You can connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok and at my website at RevCarla.com where you will find the latest about my upcoming courses and live teaching events. I'm so honored to be in this space with you. Go in peace and be at peace. Go in love and may you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you and you are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved just the way you are. Blessings on your week and I'll see you soon. Bye for now.